Hi, I'm Pastor Lori Boucher, and I want to personally welcome you to the HeartStrong Discipleship Podcast. Are you ready to study the Bible together chapter by chapter? If you go to heartstrong.life and sign up for a free membership, you will get access to the full Bible reading plan and all the bonus discipleship content that we have prepared for you. Open up your Bible and get ready to take some notes because God is going to speak to you today. Let's become heartstrong disciples together through the study of God's Word. Well, good morning, everybody. This is an exciting morning to uh, just be together again and um, feast on the Word of God. So we'll start with uh, the memory verse found in 1 John 4, 15 to 19. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfect with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Beautiful Bible verse. So the resource that I will be using today are the ESV study Bible, uh, Christianity.com, the Matthew Henry commentary, and DuringWord.com with David Keswick. These chapters are very exciting because we will continue to recount how God revealed his name, his attributes, and his redemption through five of the ten plagues that are evolving in severity. God demonstrated his supremacy over the false god of Egypt, not only so that unbelievers might see his power and repent and believe, but also so that his own people might remember his glory and remain loyal to him. God's revelation is progressive. As biblical history unfolded, God expanded and clarified more and more of who he is, his plan for restoration of mankind, and of the reversal of the deadly result and consequences of the sin of Adam that was in the garden. So exile and exodus are two of the most important motives of the Old Testament that ultimately points us to Christ and his cross. And these two chapters about God's sovereignty, grace, and mercy, um, to me, are a great example of what Daniel wrote in Daniel 2.21. He changes time and season. He removes kings and set up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. What beautiful, powerful way to start. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are just coming before you this morning to thank you for this beautiful day that is starting for the privilege that we have to have your word, um, even in men, multiple uh, translation, different languages that remind us of who you are, of your greatness, of your mercy, of your love. Thank you that we get to be in community to grow together with you and with one another. Holy Spirit, give us understanding and show us today how what you want us to to see and how you want to us to um, look at the scriptures thank you for your word for it is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword we bless you we honor you in jesus name we pray amen 
So um, we're going to start with the fifth plague, and we're going to read Exodus 1 to 4. Go back to Pharaoh, the Lord commanded Moses. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrew says, let my people go so they can worship me. If you continue to hold them and refuse to let them go, the hand of the Lord will strike you and all your livestock, your horses, donkey, camel, cattle, sheep and goats with a deadly plague. But the Lord will again make a distinction between the livestock of the Israel and that of Egyptians. Not a single one of Israel's animal will die. So verses one to four, God said, go to Pharaoh and tell him. So in mercy, God told Moses to give another warning so that Pharaoh would have the opportunity to repent. Let my people go that they may serve me. In his appeal, two things were clear. First, the people of Israel belonged to God, not to Pharaoh. Second, it was clear that God wanted Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go for the sake of the Lord himself, not even so much for the sake of the children of Israel. Pharaoh was responsible to treat Israel well for the sake of the Lord. Verses 5 to 7, the disease and death of the livestock. So all the livestock of Egypt died. In Egyptian religion, considered the cattle sacred. The cow was often a symbol of fertility. So God showed Pharaoh and all of Egypt that he was mightier than this imagined pagan god. All of these various animals would have affected transportation, uh, agriculture, and worship. 8 to 10, we're just going to go. So we're now at the next plague, which is the festering boil. Um, so then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from a brick kiln and have Moses toss it into the air while Pharaoh watches. The ashes will spread like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, causing festering boils to break up on people and animals throughout the land. Now, the kiln or furnace was a symbol of the oppression of the Hebrew because of their brick-making labors. So the very suit that made them to be enslaved people was now used to inflict punishment on the oppressor. And the magician could not stand before Moses because of the boils. Even those who were thought to be close, the closest to the Egyptians, God, were stricken with plagues. And the boils are referred again in Deuteronomy 28.35. They were very painful and seriously affected the knees, the legs, and soles of the feet, which may explain why they could not stand before Moses. Up to this point in the story, Pharaoh had hardened his own heart. But now, God allowed the king's heart to grow even harder. For Pharaoh's willful disobedience reached a point of no return. We see that God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart was the strengthening of what was already there. And hardened is the expression not of divine purpose, but the result of the disobedience to the divine appeals. As a matter of fact, all the plagues were intended and calculated to soften his heart if Pharaoh had been willing to yield. So, my first question this morning is how quick? Are we to yield to God's warning? We see once again the grace and mercy and compassion of God. But nevertheless, Pharaoh did not change his heart. Psalm 103.8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, 
slow to anger and abounding in his steadfast love. And I love the way God um, just continued to reveal himself and to give opportunities for Pharaoh to turn. So let's go to the seventh plague, which is um, in 13 to 21, the plague of hell. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews says, let my people go so that they can worship me. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you and your officials and your people. Then you will know that there's no one like me in all the earth. By now, I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth. But I have spared you for a purpose to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So the extended section of the Lord's word to Pharaoh is particularly significant at this point. It is the first and only time that the Lord explicitly explains to Pharaoh the power and purposes of the plague. And it's also the first time that he offers Pharaoh a way to avoid the effects of the plague. I will send my plague to your very heart. In this extended warning, God wanted Pharaoh to know that who was in control. As bad as it had been to this point, it was only by God's mercy that Pharaoh and Egypt had not already been cut off from the earth. That I may show my power and my name may be declared in all the earth. In this bold declaration, God told Pharaoh through Moses that his resistance was being used for actually God's glory. And if Pharaoh thought that he was accomplishing anything with this resistance against the Lord, he was completely wrong. All of his stubborn rebellion merely glorified the Lord more in the end. And Paul quoted the verse almost verbatim in an outstanding illustration of God's sovereignty in Romans 9, 17. So gather your livestock and all that you have in the field. God invited Pharaoh and the Egyptians to trust him by recommending precaution before the plague. Some took God's invitation and spared the livestock, but others did not. And I love the fact that God spared the Egyptians who actually feared God and took heed and put their livestock into a shelter. So verses 26 to uh, 22 to 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift up your hand towards the sky. So help me fall on all the people, the livestock and the plant throughout the land. So Moses lifted his staff toward the sky and the Lord sent thunder and hell and lightning and flashes toward the earth. The Lord sent a tremendous hailstorm against all the land of Egypt. Never in all history of Egypt had there been a storm like that with such devastating hell and continuous lightning. It left all of Egypt in ruin. The hell struck down everything in the open field, people, animals, and plants alike. Even the trees were destroyed. The only place without hell was the region of Goshen, where the people of Israel lived. This plague was directed against several Egyptian gods. Notable among them was not the sky goddess. And the phrase this time means this once, so which might reflect some of the shallowness of his confession. Interestingly, he said, the Lord is righteous and my people are wicked. Righteous may refer only to this particular occasion. A heart that is filled with pride and presumption persists in unbelief and disobedience. 
This state of mind is also called the stony heart. Very different is the heart of flesh, the broken and contrite heart. Sinners have no one to blame but themselves for that pride and ungodliness which abuse the bounty and patience of God. And the test of genuine repentance is those fruit produced by the Spirit in our lives. Godly sorrow leading to mortification of sin and increasing holiness of life. So my next question is, what motivates our repentance? Is it the consequence that we have to enter? Or the idea that when we sin, we ignore the price that God had to pay to save us? We, who by God's grace know Jesus as Lord and Savior, have great motivation to obey him. For God has given us both his word and his spirit's presence to guide us in his will. So let us go now to Exodus 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, return to Pharaoh and make your demands again. I have made him and his officials stubborn so I can display my miraculous sign among them. I have also done it so you can tell your children and grandchildren about how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and about the signs I displayed among them. And so you will know that I am the Lord. So I perform my signs among them that you may know that I am the Lord. God works his wonder not only so that unbelievers might see his power and repent and believe, but also so that his own people might remember his glory and so remain loyal to him. God does mighty works among us so that we can encourage generations to come. Satan does all that he can do to hinder those that serve God themselves from bringing their children to serve him. He's a sworn enemy to early piety. Whatever would put us from engaging our children in God's service, we have a reason to suspect that Satan is in it. So Moses and Aaron went through Pharaoh again and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Hebrew says, how long will you refuse to submit to me? Let my people go so that they can worship me. If you refuse, watch out, for tomorrow I will bring a swarm of locusts on your country. They will cover the land so that you won't be able to see the ground. They will devour what little is left from your crops after hailstorms, including all trees growing in the field. They will overrun your crops, your palaces and homes and your officials and houses in Egypt. Never in the history of Egypt have your ancestors seen a plague like this one. And with that, Moses learned, turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's official now came to Pharaoh themselves and appealed to him. How long will you let this man hold us hostage? Let the men go to worship the Lord, their God. Don't you realize that Egypt lies in ruins? So Moses and Aaron were brought back by Pharaoh. All right, he told them, go and worship the Lord your God. But who exactly will be going with you? So when Moses told him um, that everybody had to go, Pharaoh answered, never, only the men may go and worship the Lord, since that is what you requested. And Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. Pharaoh listens to his servants for the first time, and he called Moses and Aaron back before the plague uh, begins. However, as before, Pharaoh responded to Moses' answer with only partial obedience to the Lord's command. 
Then he angrily sent them away and, and partial obedience is not obedience. It's actually disobedience. We are not free to pick and choose what commands we want to comply and which we want to disregard. If we desire to walk with God, we must listen to all that he's saying. When Moses first came to Pharaoh back in Exodus 5, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? The fact that Pharaoh still would not submit to the Lord showed that he didn't know the Lord who the Lord was yet. This was despite the fact that the Lord God made it clear that he was greater than the God come, the guardian of the Nile, the God happy, the spirit of the Nile, the God Assyri, who had the Nile in his bloodstream, the God Hek, the goddess of fertility, the God Hathor, a cow-like mother goddess, the Himopit, the god of medicine, Seth, thought to be the protector of the crop and not the sky goddess. There remained nothing on green trees and on plants of the fields. God did for Pharaoh what he will do in our lives, expose and topple every false god. When we trust in these gods, it hurts to see them fall, but it's always best to have them exposed. And when we read this, at least when I read this list, I thought, wow, that's a lot of God to serve. I can't, you know, it's, it's hard to put ourselves into context of an Egyptian culture at that time. But if we think about it deeply, we have so many gods in our lives that we may not even be aware of that we are following. If you think of social media or if you think of anything that would um, addictions, pornography, the God of lust, the God of envy, the God of money, the God of power. These are all still very alive in our lives. And so our last question is what idol needs to be exposed in our lives and are we quick? to ask God to expose them to us because we do not want to have any other God before God. I have sinned against the Lord, our God, and against you. So once again, the easy confession of sin was there, but it was shallow repentance that spring only from a desire to avert the consequences. And now it brings us to the ninth plague, the plague of darkness that comes without warning. Verses 21 to 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hands toward the heaven and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hands to the sky and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other and no one moved, but they were a light as usual where the people of Israel lived. The ninth plague came without warning, and the darkness struck at the very heart of Egyptian theology and practice. It humbled one of the greatest Egyptian, the sun god Ray. And the darkness, which may even be felt, this was not an abnormal darkness. It had a spiritual element to it that could be felt. Light is not only a physical property, it is an actual aspect of God's character. 1 John 5, 1 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In judgment, God can rejoice presence so significantly that the void remained is darkness, which may even be filled. Seemingly, God did not even allow artificial light source to work. 
this was a dramatic show of the greatness over the prominent Egyptian god Ray, though be the sun god. The blindness of their minds brought upon them this darkness of the air. Never was mind so blinded as Pharaoh's, and never was air so darkened as Egypt. Let us dread the consequences of sin. If three days of darkness were so dreadful, what would everlasting darkness be? God's revelation is progressive. As biblical history unfolded, God expanded and clarified more and more of who he is, of his plan for restoration in mankind, and of the reversal of the deadly results and consequences of the sin of Adam in the Garden of Eden. In the Exodus, the ten plagues brought judgment and death to the Egyptians, even to Pharaoh's firstborn son, but brought life and freedom to the Israelites. When Moses led the people through the divided sea, that great miracles displayed not only the power of Yahweh, but also his covenant faithfulness. Exile and Exodus are two of the most important motives of the Old Testament that ultimately points us to Christ and his cross. Jesus fulfilled the promise from the Old Testament that God would redeem his people in a way that would eclipse the exodus from Egypt. Once again, in the Old Testament, the judgment of God was wrapped in grace and mercy. The exodus of Israel from Egypt was not only to deliver them from slavery, but also to free them to worship the living God. So also in Jesus' exodus in Passover, he delivered us from the chains of Satan and sin and enabled us to worship God in spirit and in truth. What a story and what a great God do we serve. What mercy does he have over us? Thank you for joining us for today's Bible study. Don't forget to visit heartstrong.life to access our daily blog for even more encouragement. Visit the HeartStrong shop with all kinds of awesome merch like hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs to remind you of this awesome journey of discipleship that you are on. Log in to heartstrong.life to access all your member content, resources, and downloads. We have live Bible studies for adults, students, and a Bible bootcamp for kids. Let's become HeartStrong disciples together.